Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our guest today has been involved in ministry in this church for many years, from early evangelistic outreaches even to uh, recent history as last summer. We have enjoyed um, the company of a dear friend. He's preached on the radio and just one of our favorite preachers. Would you please welcome Raul Reese. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be here with you. So many years in Albuquerque, we're getting old. <laughs> there was a, uh, this Latin family, nothing against Latins, you guys. <laughs> they bought a parrot, beautiful red, blue, and white parrot. And uh, the husband bought it for the wife, brought it home, and set it up in a nice cage right in front of the actual, you know, hallway where she would come down in the morning. He was really excited. So he got up to go to work the next morning, and as she got up in the morning, she came down the stairs, and that old parrot looked at her coming down and said, You are the most ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. She got so offended. She called her husband on the phone and said, Honey, this animal you just bought me has just offended me. Honey, don't worry. When I get home, I'll take care of him. He comes home. Grabs the parrot by the throat, starts moving him around, shaking him, and says, if you ever insult my wife again, I'm going to kill you. Throws him back in. Next morning, gets up, goes to work. She gets up, comes down the stairs, and that old parrot's looking. Says, you are the most ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. And she was just turning red and really upset. And calls her husband and said, honey, that's it. Again, honey. Do not worry. Got home, took the parrot, started slapping him around, shook him, says, tomorrow you're dead. Threw him back in. He went to work the next morning. She gets up early in the morning just to make sure. She walks down the stairs. And that old parrot's looking at her coming down. And that old parrot's looking at her. And that parrot looks at her eyes, straight eyes. And he looks this way. He looks that way. And he says, you know... Enough of parents. <laughs> it's always good to be here in Albuquerque. I feel at home. Skip's coming and I'm leaving. <laughs> it's cool. I love it. Skip has really been burdened. We love that guy and he's really gone through a lot. And we just really thank God that he made the right decision to come back to his hometown. Love it. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with you. You can clap. <laughs> this morning... If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 30. You know, many, many years ago, about 35 years ago, when I got saved, it was a very difficult time in my life when I, uh, I was looking for answers. I had messed up my life pretty, pretty bad. I had come back from Vietnam and I was very angry, very uh, hot-tempered. Uh, my problem was never drugs or alcohol. But I had grown up in a home of violence, so I was really 
pretty upsetting. Once I went to Vietnam, it just really broke me. They put me away for six months, locked me up completely. Then after that, you know, they let me out and I was just a total mess. But I went back to my martial arts and began to practice the martial arts and open my academies and began to do really well financially. But I was really empty, very empty. Spent a lot of money. I had a lot of women. And when I was married, adultery for four and a half years. And finally, my wife decided that she would leave me for the verbal, physical abuse. So when I came home on that night, on uh, actually it was April 15, 1972, I decided to execute my wife and my kids. And so I decided to just go ahead and set it up. And so she went to church, and she already had packed her bags. So when I came home, I destroyed the house. And then finally, I went to destroy the television, and I hit the TV. And if you watch the movie, Chuck Smith was with Catherine Kuhlman, and he was preaching, and he preached to me. It was the Lord, and the Lord touched my life and totally changed me. So when I got saved, I had one desire. And that is, I want to take the gospel to my friends. And so the first thing that I did is I went to Calvary Chapel, started getting rooted and grounded in God's Word. And then the Lord gave me a half vision, half dream to go back to my high school. The principal, Mr. Barnhold and Hollabeck were the vice principal. They were my baseball coaches too. They knew me. So when I arrived at the high school, they called the police. <laughs> right away. I said, hey, look it, I'm a Christian now. And they said, we don't care who you are or what you are. You're leaving today. So they took me out and they escorted me out of the high school. I went home pretty bummed up because I thought, wow, man, the Lord spoke to my heart and here they're kicking me out. And so I went back home pretty bummed out. I waited two weeks and the Lord spoke to me again and said, go, I prepare the way. So I went back and Mr. Harlembeck and Mr. Barnhold allowed me to go into the high school. And that was the beginning of my high school ministry. And I was there full time during lunch hour talking to the kids. But the kids didn't want to hear me. They would take milk, they would take cakes, and they'd throw them on me. And I wanted to kill these kids. <laughs> because I was trying to share love with them and they were hating me. So I thought, Lord, I'll get revenge. But the Lord told me not to say anything, just to stay put. And the Lord began to work. And then the Lord put it on my heart to go over to Europe. So my first trip over to Ireland, and then over to Scotland, and then England. And then I went over to uh, uh, Scotland, England, Dublin. And, and, and it was a time where I was looking... Not only to see, because I had been reading Spurgeon, Campbell G. Morgan, uh, uh, William Barclay, I had been reading Moody, and also Finney. And I thought, man, I've heard so many things about Europe, I want to see what God did, because we were in the midst of the Jesus people movement when I got saved. It was the beginning of it. And I saw hundreds and thousands of people come to know the Lord at Calvary Chapel. And it was just amazing, all of the hippies that were getting saved. So when I went over to Europe, I was really bummed out. As I went to these churches, that used to hold 6,000, 7,000 people, that on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, Sunday evenings, expository preaching and teaching was going on. Now at this particular time, back in 1975, only 25 people in the church. Today, only 2% in Europe believe in Jesus Christ. The church is dead. And it's really important that we understand what's happening in Europe because I believe that we're seeing a trend that is coming even into the United States of America. 
where there is a lot of people that have become very comfortable in their lives and they're not putting God first. It's like the frog in the kettle. You know, you take a, a big thing of water, you put it over the stove, you put the frog in, and he swims around really happy. But you turn up the heat and little by little it begins to heat up and that old frog gets used to the temperature and it cooks itself. And that's the way that the church is heading even today in the 21st century. We are living in the last days. Jesus is going to come soon. And one of the things that God has put in my heart and should be in your hearts too today It's in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 30, where he says this, And he who wins souls is wise. We should have a desire to win people to the Lord. The church has become complacent. People have become complacent. In the the previous services, I've been talking to people down here, and it's been amazing Amazing, there was one lady that came to me in the second service and said, I was in the hippie movement. That was with John Hagen's way back in those homes back when the hippies were there. He said, I have backslidden for the last 25 years. Man, it's amazing what Satan can do to people that at one time they were burning out for God. Maybe you're here today. And you are that person that God is talking to today. And at the same time, I'm talking to the whole church. I'm saying to you that we need to have a vision for the lost. Even where we work, where we go to school, whatever we do, wherever we are, we need to pray and we need to look for that opportunity that God will give to us to share our faith with that person. You never know what that person is facing in their lives. And then at the same time, just think when they come to know the Lord. But that's what we've been commanded to do. To go out and try to share our faith. Why? Because there are millions of people that are going to hell every day. Being in the battlefield of Vietnam, I saw a lot of my buddies get killed. And then when I came home, I've seen so much. I'm a chaplain for the sheriffs. And I've seen people that have been shot. I've seen people that have been run over. I've been seeing people that have been burned. And you see them in their last moments, right before they die, and you're talking to them, and you're sharing with them, look, there is a heaven, there is a hell. You know, you better make sure that your life is right before God. And I've had them receive the Lord, and I've had them spit on me, and I've had them curse me. And damn God, as they take their last breath, and that body just goes into emptiness. And they're gone forever. We have to remember, that we're all going to die one day. And you have mothers and fathers, and you have brothers and sisters, and you have uncles and aunts, and you have friends and enemies that need to know the Lord. If they do not know the Lord, they will go to hell. That's what the Bible says. Very important that we understand this. Because there's a story that Jesus gives us in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, verse 19. He talks about a rich man. He talks about a poor beggar. And the poor beggar has been on the streets. He's a transient. He has no food. He has no medical help. He is messed up. And he's walking around the city of Jerusalem. And he just happens to come into a good neighborhood. And there's a rich man that is having parties every night. They have their wine. They have their meat. They have everything they can a man afford. 
And they're sitting actually on pillows, reclining on tables. And there's a gate. And here is this guy outside of the gate. And he's putting his hand through and grabbing the crumbs that are falling from this rich man's table. And he's eating. And these dogs are coming by and licking his horse. And then that very evening as they're partying, and this poor beggar is sitting there, all of a sudden he becomes lifeless and he dies. Dies. Right in front of this mansion. And about midnight, everybody gets ready to go home and they've died and wine. And they're happy and they're leaving and probably stepping over this guy, not even noticing him there because he's a nobody. And they all go home. The rich man closes the door. He goes up to his room, gets ready for bed. And then that very evening thinking, tomorrow, next day, and the following day, more friends, more wine, more women, more of everything, party, hearty. It's going to be great. But that night he died too. And the Bible tells us that he woke up in hell. And before Christ came and died on the cross and resurrected, there was a place called Sheol or what we call hell today. And it also it's a place where it's called Hades, the place of the dead. This is the place where everybody in the Old Testament, the Old Dispensation, Old Testament, and anybody died, they went to hell. There were two compartments. One called Abraham's bosom, and then a great gulf separating the other side where people were being tormented. That's where they went. And when this rich man woke up, he woke up on the other side. And he looked to the other side and he saw that beggar that died at his footsteps. And yet at hell, he knew his name and he said, Father Abraham, can you please send Lazarus over to this side for I am burning in this flame so that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. Hell is a hot place. In hell... He recognized Abraham, which had been dead already for 2,000 years. He knew them by name. And what's amazing, he recognized the, the poor man's name was Lazarus. And then on the other side, this rich man had all five senses working after he died. He could see, he could hear, he could smell, he could taste, he could touch, he could remember. Because then he said this, because Father Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you had everything in life, but this poor beggar had nothing, but now he's being comforted and you're being in torment. And then what he did, he said this, Father Abraham, please, I beg you. I have five brothers up there. Do you think that somebody from here can go up there and tell them about this place of torment? Lest they come here too. And Abraham said to him, Son, even if somebody would go back from the dead, they still would not believe. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, and people today still do not believe in Jesus Christ, or heaven, or hell. And yet there is a literal place. But that's not the end. Hell is only the beginning, because hell will be thrown with the devil, and his demons, and the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and every wicked person after the white throne judgment will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. That's why there's an urgency in my heart and a passion for evangelism. For one-to-one personal, you know, witnessing. Why? 
Because we have found the truth of God. God has given us His love, His grace, His mercy. He saved you, He saved me. But what about those people around us? Throughout the day, throughout the night, in the afternoons, in the supermarket, at the coffee house, wherever it may be. People that are hurting, people that are sinners, people that are in darkness, people that are on their way to hell. Are we going to reach for them as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and pull them from the pit of hell before they get there? That's what God says to do. We are responsible. Don't you remember Jesus? When Jesus came to Samaria, and He was walking through Samaria, in the ninth chapter of the book of Matthew, it says this about Jesus, and then He went out about the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. He says, in preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when He saw the multitudes of people, He saw them, notice, he was moved with compassion for them because they were worried and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. How do you see people today? How do you see them? Do you see them with a soul? A spirit? Or do you have so much bitterness and hatefulness for them and anger that you could care less if they go to hell? That should not be a right if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And if you haven't made things right before God, you're coming to church, that's cool. But at the same time, if you have bitterness or anger or resentment against any person, no matter whether family or not, you want to make sure of this, that before you come to the house of the Lord, like in the Gospel of Matthew, that you leave your sacrifice, and you go make things right before the Lord. And if they don't want to forgive you, that's up to them, but you made things right before God. You want to make sure your conscience is right, and your heart is right with the Lord. Very important, if you want God to use your life. Jesus moved with compassion all the time, because of people that were lost. You know what he said to his disciples? This is what he tells you and me. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It doesn't have to be India, South America, Central America. It can be right here in our own backyards. Right here. There are people that need Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul talking to the Romans, in chapter 10, verse 14 said this, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we have a great responsibility to people to share with them. No matter who we are, no matter who you are. The prophet Ezekiel was called by God in Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 18, and chapter 33 to become a watchman. 
And the Lord told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to go to my people, because they were going into captivity, and I want you to go to them and tell them this for me. And if you don't tell them, I'm going to hold you responsible when a person dies and you haven't shared with that person, I'm holding you responsible for their blood. But if you share with them and they die not believing in me, then they're accountable for their own soul and their own blood. That's what he said. Remember Paul the Apostle, New Testament, Acts 18 and 20? He said what? After proclaiming the gospel to the city of Ephesus for three years, he was leaving and he said, I wash my hands from all men's blood because I have not failed to give to you the full counsel of God. I can live at peace. Just like Skib has taught you from Genesis to Revelation, as I've taught my congregation from Genesis to Revelation, that if I would die today, I would be not guilty of any men's blood. I have given to them the full counsel of God. Very important. You, too much is given, much more is required. The more you sit here in the light, the greater the light, the greater the judgment, the greater responsibility. Even, even Jude, the stepbrother of Jesus. In Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 22. He says, and some people have compassion, making a distinction. But of others, say by fear, by pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Before they die, we need to pull them out of the fire. The alcoholic, the drug addict, the fornicator, the adulterer. The pornographer, you see, the liar and also the angered man or woman, or the, whoever it may be, whatever the problem or sin may be. We need to share Christ with them. We need to share about eternity. We need to see the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That God will touch them. That God will speak to them. Surely we cannot convert anybody. I've never converted anybody. I never will. But I really want to be open to the Holy Spirit. When I get on a plane, when I get on a train, when I get on my car, wherever I travel, whatever I do, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that I'm ready to share my faith with others. Because you never know how long you're going to be on this earth. Our time is limited, my friends. Eternity is a long time. And God has given us the most beautiful, precious gift of all, His Son, Jesus Christ, eternal life. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace. Unmerited favor for each one of us individually here. And yet, those people that do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they all say, well, there is a literally a hell, is there? Oh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. As there is a heaven. Remember the two thieves on the cross, one cursed Jesus, and the other one said, Lord, don't forget about me. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. When Jesus Christ was on that cross and He gave up the Spirit, He went down to hell and He cleaned out Abraham's bosom. First Peter chapter 3, and He took everybody to heaven and those on the other side. Hell became one big place until the end of time. Until the end of time then hell and death will be cast into the lake of fire. And so is every person that did not believe in Jesus Christ. That's what my Bible tells me. Listen to what the Bible says about hell. It's 
actually says that hell is an everlasting fire. There is an everlasting fire. In Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. God never made hell for men. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. Man goes to hell by his own will, by his own choice. Remember that. You can't point the finger at God. No possible way. And yet hell also is an everlasting punishment place. Everlasting punishment. Matthew 25, 45 says, Then he will answer them saying, Surely I say to you, Inasmuch as you did, did not do it unto one of the least of these, You did it not to me. So he's talking about not only you know treating people right, but at the same time, it's important that we understand that, that hell is a place for the wicked, a place of darkness, a place with fire, a place where gnashing of teeth, a place of torment. In, Ma- in Matthew 8, 12, it says this, He says, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an everlasting destruction. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Again, it's for the disobedient and the wicked. Revelation 21.8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual, immoral people, sorcerers or drug users, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It is also the place for the Antichrist and for the false prophet. Revelations 19.20 Then the beast was captured with a false teacher and worked signs and wonders in his presence, by which he deceived the whole world who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. It's a place for the fallen angels. In 2 Peter 2, 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for the day of judgment. It is also a place for the rejecters of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 10, 15, Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And then hell is a place where there's bodily punishment, soulish punishment, and it's also spiritual uh, punishment. Bodily, Matthew 5.29, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus is talking about getting rid of sin, not plucking your eye because then you have another eye. Or a right hand, you have a left hand. Get rid of the sin. Then the soul, Matthew ten twenty eight, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And then there are degrees of punishment. In Matthew twenty five fifteen he talks about how the Pharisees and also the scribes. He said it's going to be better on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for any person that has had the light and rejected the light of Jesus Christ. 
judgment will be greater by degrees, the punishment of God. And yet, you talk to people and they still don't believe. Now what happens when a person does want to believe? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to look at yourself and understand that you have sinned against God. Sin separates me from God. The missing of the mark. But then I can come to Jesus Christ and humble myself before Him. And I can say, Jesus, I want to receive you. And then Jesus will say to you that you need to repent of your sins. And if you repent of your sins, you need to put your faith and trust in me. And then I will receive you. I will write your name in the book of life. And I will give you the guarantee of eternal life. That's what Christ will do for a person that wants to know Him. For those of you that are here that are Christians already... You say, well, what do I have to do in order for me to start sharing my faith with others? Number one, you need to pray for an opportunity every day through prayer. Lord, I pray this morning before I leave, leave me, guide me to speak to somebody today. There's a need. Secondly, I need to memorize scriptures to give to people. Memorizing the word of God. Thirdly, I need to study God's Word. So when people ask me for something, I can give them an answer through the Word of God. Fourthly, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to use me when He opens the door for the opportunity that He's going to be there with me to be able to share my faith and truth with Him. And fifthly, I need... To give people an opportunity to receive Christ. Give them an opportunity. Do you want to receive Jesus? Let's pray. And you pray with them. This morning we're sitting here listening to the sermon. But it's not just another sermon. It is something that every one of us has to make it practical in our lives. One of the things that I'll share with you in conclusion. Is that if you're here today and you think that your wife or husband brought you here, you know, just to hear the sermon, it's of no value. Unless the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you can live here today without Christ, without hope, on your way to hell, and you know what? You missed an opportunity. Or you can say, you know what? The Holy Spirit did speak to me today, and I need to make a decision today to receive Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, the one that came on from all eternity to die on the cross for my sins and to give me eternal life and to forgive me for everything and anything that I have done if I'm truly repentant in my heart. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.